0: Hello and welcome to Red's Business and Technology Podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Barnes. I'm your co-host, Brad Ferris. And I want to first introduce our uh, special guest from Red, our founder. Nigel, did you want to introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, thanks, Jackson. Really appreciate it. So, Nigel Hine, founder of Red. We set out on a journey six years ago to reimagine everything done digitally, make people's lives better through technology. And um, here we are, still doing it, reimagining technology with podcasts. And so, yeah, thank you for um, having me here.
0: No worries. And today we've got our guest who is... Um, From Azenco, the global mining and oil and gas giant, based across 26 offices in 14 countries with projects with over 80 locations, Uh, recently also named one of the top 10 most innovative CIOs to follow in 2021, Anuj Anand. Do you want to, Anuj, thanks for coming on, and did you want to go through your background first? Sure, mate. Firstly, thank you so much for having me on. Um, Probably the most
2: high-tech setup I've been in in a a long time and, and ever, Thank probably you. the second most ever so well done thank you um, thank you already shows the passion and technology over here <laughs> yeah, it's so yeah. excited to be here <laughs> um, yeah so i guess i started probably in engineering 13 years ago as an engineer so what about before was uh, before Osenko it was a company called alcan engineering now rio tinto alcan so that was my first job and got my first job after as a graduate so i did my work experience over there and um then converted the work experience to full-time work. Uh, I did try going on a six-month sabbatical through Europe but that got canned because it was on a one of the biggest projects uh, done in Australia in Northern Territory in an area called Gove Um, and the project was running full swing so it was pretty much either stay on the project or oh, go and oh, never come back. Yeah, see you later. <laughs> yeah, and I always thought, you know, the the advice the old man gave at the time: you can always go on holiday. You can you can always do that and. It's been about 15 years and it still hasn't happened. Yeah. So, you know,
3: that's a funny one. I got the exact opposite advice from my dad and I don't think he realised really? how quickly. He said, mate, you're young once, so you better enjoy it. You're going to be, he said, you're young once, you're going to be old and working forever, so enjoy it while you can.
2: So I think uh, key differentiate over <laughs> here around, uh, I'll, I'll say it since we're among friends, yes. around brown parents versus <laughs> yeah. other parents. It's like yeah. you will work, yeah, you yeah. will be a doctor or an engineer yeah. or a lawyer. And that's it. Oh. Yeah. No choice. Everything <laughs> else will follow, that's right? <laughs> right.
0: And, and then you uh, joined Zenko, and so as an engineer first.
2: Yeah, so I started in the instrumentation controls department, and um, spent, I guess, some of my informative years in in the engineering, I guess, project side. You know, so went aside a couple of times, and always had an aptitude for technology. So from the start, even at Alcan. There was a point of time where I decided that I wasn't going to sit down and manually fill in 2,760 data sheets, um, quite elaborate data sheets, and you'd have to read a drawing and then go in and type it in and then read the drawing, look at the process data, go and type it in. And there was a lot of it. So I had a full year to do it. So decided there was an easier way to do this. And may or may not have broken through their database <laughs> um, and and figured out, wrote an Excel script and, you know, connected uh, the Excel spreadsheet to the database and uh, made sure that uh, I filled in all the data within a few months versus the year that was allocated. And then they realized that I must know a bit about technology. So got told that I could help out the IT team who needed some help at the time. And that was my first foray in tech, doing some work experience there. And when I moved to Asenko, um, it was actually very similar in that they needed assistance with the design systems and the design tools, so the 3D design tools that they used, along with the engineering side. So I helped build that bridge between the two, and that was the constant focus for me in working on projects, helping use technology that actually made sense for the projects versus versus just technology. So it was an interesting... Um, avenue and an interesting background compared to everyone else that I meet within the technology space. Uh, Definitely. So, yeah. So, spend a lot of time doing that. And then at some point of time, one of the projects that I worked on and built this software platform for the project they voted uh, or put it into a contest for most innovative solutions on a project and it saved them a fair bit of money. So that actually won an award in London in 2014. And that's when, I guess, the C-suite started taking a bit of notice, going, Anuj must know a bit about technology. He's done a few things in the past. He's helped us make a tangible difference to projects. And that's when they called me into what I call the principal's office. I remember sitting down (laughs) in uh, West End... uh, I think it was level three and the C-suite was level five, right? The penthouse and, you know, one of the EAs came and tapped me on the shoulder saying, um, Neil and Greg, who was our CIO and CTO at the time, want to talk to you. And I was like, oh man, I've done something wrong. I'm in trouble for something. I'm going to better pack my bags and and get ready to be walked out after this. And, uh, so I did pack my bags and then I go up and, I had a very different trajectory. I was always part of a high potential leadership program in the company and, you know, always thought, you know, I'm going to go into GM of engineering, run an office, you know, move to a different country potentially and um, build my run rate that way. And when I walked in, they're like, oh, I need to sit down and, you know, very casual setting um, in the principal's office. And I was like, what's, what's going on? And they're like, have you ever thought about a career in IT? I was like, no, no, <laughs> don't really like those guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Never give me permission to do anything. I have to take it myself. No, yeah. Love the guys. Um, yeah, so that's how it started
0: off. And uh, as they say, the rest is history. And well done. So it's pretty okay. impressive, focusing on systems and realistic outcomes for the business. And then, yep. then you go straight into CIO. Did you want to touch on an overview of Asenko, who they are?
2: Yeah, for sure. So Asenko is... uh widely spread, you know, as you said, quite geographically spread around the place, about 3,000 people globally, give or take. Uh, My team is about 55 people globally across the various regions. Um, So we're very big in the engineering services, mostly focused around the mining space. Everything that we do and the core of what we do is around mining. We've just moved into the ESG space. Big focus for us over the coming years is around that ESG space, really helping our clients um, evolve as well so we've just made some investments when it comes to software, when it comes to um, technology related to ESG, measuring our own outputs, and then using that and the the work that we're going to do to help our clients evolve as well.
1: And yeah, no, I'm interested to know. I know you have probably spent the last six years in North America. Um, the difference you see between what the North Americans from an adoption of technology versus Australians, right? Because I know you spent a bit of time working with IBM and the Watson and the AI BI space. Anything you can share that you know good insights that You've been, you know, playing in the the big league, so to speak, and, you know, little old Aussie down under, you know, what what can we
2: um, embrace or what can we do better? Yeah, great question, Nigel. And I think, you know, I see it over here being back for about seven months now and, you know, quite focused on the technology, meeting a lot of vendors, meeting a lot of clients, a lot of people in this space. The marked difference, I would say, is the adoption, like you just mentioned, Nigel, and how quickly people are ready to take the plunge versus what's going on over here not saying that you know we're that backward in brisbane you know little brisbane you know like for for what it's worth it's actually doing quite well when it comes to technology there's a lot of great companies like yourselves in in this area you know playing in this field however you know in in canada or silicon valley of the north which is vancouver brad you've 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 seen it you know and um so close to san francisco a lot of the startups a lot of the technology you know a lot of the offshoot from silicon valley does go into vancouver you know so it's got a great tech space it's got a great little community when it comes to technology very good to get um talented resources in that region um as well but again adoption's quite fast you know people are ready to adopt and actually take the risks and make the investments versus what i've seen over here and i think that's pretty important
1: yeah okay yeah Yeah. So any lessons, I guess, in your time here, only been seven months, like, would you see that Australians are probably a bit too conservative? We should be taking a a few more calculated risks? Yeah,
2: definitely. You know, and and it's one of those things, you know, like, it is that practical or reality based approach that I often think about and talk to my team about, you know, like, so when it comes to newer technologies, you know, you shouldn't just jump in because it's new right? Like when it comes to artificial intelligence, there was this big buzz when it came to VR and AR, there was this big buzz and everyone made all these huge investments and leaps overseas. And I guess the piece that was missing from that whole thing is what the real realistic output of that was going to be. What was the goal going to be? You know, just because it's cool technology doesn't make it great for yourselves, right? Like, you know, where's the value going to be? You know, for ourselves, we went, um, you know, when it comes to VR and AR, we actually went with the approach of you know, what the marked difference for us was going to be bringing the remote or site-based travel, et cetera, to the office, you know? So you don't actually have to be at site, um, you know, remote mind, you don't have to travel, you don't have to leave your family, you could put in a headset and virtually be at the site if that was possible, you know? So that was the outcome or the goal that we were trying to achieve. We may or may not have got to it, but we actually set up, you know, magic milestones is what we call them you know, to, to say whether we wanted to go or no-go after we were able to prove technology at a certain point. So we would set these milestones and make most of our investment align to those milestones. So we would always say, all right, you know, gate one's going to be X. If we achieve it, you know, we make a go, no-go decision at that point of time versus saying that we're going to spend $500,000 and, you know, get to this point, you know, straight away. So even when it came to IBM Watson, you know, we made our investments quite... Um, you know, staying quite cognizant of the fact that we might not achieve that goal. However, if we did tick the boxes, we would get a lot closer to, to ticking that. Uh, you know, meeting the goal or the milestone. So, yeah,
1: yeah, good but, framework. Yeah, fantastic.
2: Yeah. And it it's worked so far for us. You know, making sure that the goal is realistic, making sure that we're setting something that's going to be important to the business. You know, I feel with a lot of proof of concepts, a lot of. Um, new technologies and new adoptions, you know, new implementations, people over promise. And, you know, that that's the problem, right? Like yeah. you can always go and it's up to us as leaders within the business to actually bring a reality check to that situation going, well, okay, you know, how are you going to achieve it? What value is that going to make to the business? You know, and for myself actually coming from the floor, I can actually see some of those tangible benefits, you know, like it will make a difference if we can get um, you know, a combination expert on the phone or, you know, with a VR headset, being able to look at what's going on in the site, you know, versus actually traveling, you know, and, and then they can look at about 20 sites versus just being at one site.
3: Yeah, that's, that's so cool. So how much of that,
2: how, how widely implemented is, is kind of the VR AR not very much oh, really? right now Brad you know <laughs> so i guess we ha- we didn't uh, we didn't take the boxes at an early stage you know so we actually went through those milestones and went all right we'll, we've bought the headset we've actually invested in some programmers that specialize in it so you we've made a bit of traction you know we've got 3d models um, that are available to be viewed through a headset you know so it's not just on a screen, like you could actually put a headset on, you could do a walkthrough. It does take a lot of work to get to that point.
3: So is it, what are the roadblocks? Is it is it um, software, the hardware, communication on site, change management?
2: At this stage, I'd say the big problem for us is, is the time it takes, you know, with developing the software and like taking the model. You know, if it was a click of okay. a button type of thing to say, actually, you've got the, the model, a 3D model, yep. you know, that you can view on a screen, Great. And like if it was click of a button or, you know, minimal investment to go from A to B, that would make it a bit of a realistic outcome. You know, at this stage, there's still a lot of programming, you know, with Unity or whatever it is to to actually go through and get to that next next Conceptually, level. Conceptually
3: it sounds so promising, but yeah, it's always great, right? <laughs> <great>. It's <laughs> so, so
0: difficult to implement. <laughs> so when you go to le- level six, I think you said where the executives are. Level five. G- yeah. Level <laughs> five. <laughs> <laughs> level six is when you parachute out. Right? Uh, <laughs> 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 Do you um, go through that magic milestone approach when you're trying to pitch like a n- new technology innovation to them? Yeah, all the time,
2: you know, so every time we go through any of these new technologies, innovative ideas, we do get the buy-in from a lot of the C-suite, you know, and it usually takes like two or three people to actually be heavily invested in the idea apart from just myself, you know, I can, um, I can say, you know, hand on heart, I am quite the optimist, you know, and I look at a lot of the technology and say, this has got great value, you know, like Brad said, you know, with the VR piece, it was (laughs) like, oh, this is going to be amazing, this is going to be game changing, you know, and then, It might take someone else, you know, one of my colleagues or, um, you know, to actually go through and, you know, test it out a bit with me going, is it going to get to this point? You know, have you got enough off the gates or magic milestones that we spoke about in place to to ensure that you're going to get to that? You know, how much money are we going to spend before we potentially don't achieve anything? Yeah. You know, so, so it's so important advice. to actually make sure that it's not just me making some of those decisions. <laughs> yeah, that's really good advice.
1: Well, just on that, Anuj, it's interesting, right? So you've worked with a lot of vendors, a lot of partners. Like In the business case, putting that advice, you know, um, coming up with something that makes sense from a commercial point of view, how do you as a lead-in CIO lean on your vendors for that help and that assistance, right? So as a technology business, the
2: more we can learn to help you know, partner. Can you talk a bit about that? 100% nig you know i think this is a conversation that i've had with multiple people that i work with you know it's that understanding of our business right you know so you can't just have a blanket business case that you think it's going to be a one size fits fits all and i think the relationships that we establish you know as Um, you know, we do the same thing with our clients. You know, we try to actually get into the business and understand what they're doing, what's going to make a difference to them to help them prepare that business case. You know, you might never get to the point of knowing all the nuances, but if you actually understand what we're trying to do, what sets us apart? um, You know, I think that makes the biggest difference to actually develop a business case together and co-collaborate on a business case versus just saying, we believe it's going to be X, Y, Z, and, you know, that's the value that we're going to bring to it without really understanding what the business is and what we're trying to do. Yep. So, and I think the only way that you can get to it is developing that relationship and having these conversations about what sets Asenko apart or what sets any business apart.
1: Fantastic. Yep.
0: So getting to know the business, so that's a bit of advice you've got for um, IT partners. Um, what other advice would you have for um, selecting a good IT partner? Uh, I think the biggest thing for me is having that relationship,
2: being able to sit down and, you know, anyone on my team will tell you this. I think, you know, even the conversations I've had with Nigel, anyone will say this, you know, we're not going to work with anyone. We're not going to sit down and, you know, have a beer or coffee with, you know, I want to do that, you know, at a personal and professional level. You know, I think what it really boils down to, and I'll, I'll try to play this out, is a lot of the time things might not go through and, you know, when it comes to technology, it's quite binary, right? Zeros and ones. You know, so there will be points of time where um, the technology will not work or operate as as you expected it to to do so. You know, I think the worst case scenario um, is that you go back to a service level agreement and say, "No, you said that it was going to be down, you know, at a minimum for an hour a month. You know, and it's down for an hour and thirty minutes, So now you have to give us this credit back." I'd rather sit down with the person and just say, "Hey." this happened or it's happened constantly how do we get around it you know you know and that can only happen if you've got a relationship with someone versus you know just going through and like being very transactional you know i'll send you an email you know fill in the paperwork we'll buy the software and there's a lot of vendors like that you know and when they don't perform you get to that point well here's the sla you owe us this and give it to you but i think the most important thing is to to be able to sit down together and work through this
0: and get a strong relationship. And yeah. That's great. No, yeah par- you
1: partnerships, you know. Partnerships. You, the success of your role in your organization and it's just really the, the power of the partnerships, right?
2: That's 100% yeah. right.
1: So just on that vein, what keeps you up at night? As a CIO <laughs> going into 2023, what worries you?
2: I think the, every CIO or CISO will say this at this point of time, it's uh, uh, cybersecurity or losing information or having having a breach through uh through any framework any partners that you're working with you know one of one of those little nuances you know making sure that you're as airtight as possible you know it's getting to a point of time as we see almost on a weekly basis that you know you might not plug every hole so you know it's that that's really what keeps me up at night at this point of time
1: and with an, a, a global team, I guess, you know, your challenges are, you know, exponential compared to so many others. Can you talk through some of the, I guess, you know, what you're seeing is done elsewhere in the world, best practice, is there any, anything that you can share in that regard?
2: Yeah, look, no, it's it's a hard one, right? Like, you know, the more you share, the more you open yourself mm. up as well, right? Like, you know, wh- what vendors you use, what strategies you use, it's, it's, it's at that point of time right now, whatever you have or say can be used against you as well. Sure. You know, and... Yeah. Um, not to share, you know, I'd love to share it with you guys, you know, at a personal level, but, you know, I think what I see now more than what I've seen before is the ability to have the right partnerships in place, you know, whether it's, um, Arctic Wolf or, you know, CrowdStrike or any of these companies that we work with or talk to, it's making sure that you've got a robust structure in place or a robust support mechanism in place that if something does go wrong, you've got the right team to help you recover Yep. Or it's to minimise that downtime. You know, I think one of the things that we're focusing on next year is around making sure that we've got the right DRP in place to recover and have the right recovery strategies in place to make sure that we're able to, you know, come out of yeah. any breach. You just, I mean, you
3: can't get you, the risk. You just cannot, by definition, get it to zero. So, yes, those mitigation practices that you put in place, partnerships, policies, controls, all that kind of stuff, um, and just being diligent is is critical. And that's what we're seeing a lot of as well. Yeah.
0: Well, generally speaking, <clears throat> um, what advice would you have for other CIOs in Australia to, to look at um, first? Would it be compliance, just what, who they're partnering with, how to, like selecting a cyber partner? Like what advice would you give to them?
2: I would 100% say to have the right partnerships in place and the right agreements in place um, before anything else because, you know, you, you're never going to be able to tick every box, and yep. you might not have every answer yourself, but if you have the right partners, you know, they may be the ones that bring to you, you know, different things or different scenarios that you might never see being so involved in your own business. And we've had that over the past couple of years, right? Like we've had multiple partners come into the business going, Have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? And I feel there's a bit of a trap in this whole piece as well, because you could overcommit, you know, and then when's the end of it? You know, we could theoretically spend millions and millions of dollars trying to cover ourselves but you know what value is that going to be right Right. you know going back to the business value i feel like we're getting to a point now where the cost of cyber is potentially more expensive
0: than the cost of what we're trying to protect back to pens and paper
2: yeah, you know, <laughs> it could be the answer.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. a scary time and especially as a CIO when you partner with someone you're putting your neck on the line, right? Because yep. we touched on this a couple of weeks ago when the the ex of Uber um didn't report a breach and he's facing up to 8 years jail time. Yeah. Well, didn't report Personally. and then covered it up. Yeah. Yeah, so I I think I was I was listening to something about that on the
3: weekend actually and I think it was he was more getting pinned because he was covering it up than for the <laughs> the actual breach itself. But it's definitely, um, it's definitely an interesting time. And we've, had, we've definitely had some different conversations in here, right, when it's like, okay – because at the end of the day, it's what price you put on the risk, like yep. you're saying. Um, and it does – it's the topic around many boardrooms. Board the AICD just released their cyber governance principles for Australian directors. Um, and, you know, the conversations we've been having is around, okay, well, you've kind of got your, your total cost of the risk, you know, you'll, you'll mitigate so much of that risk with controls, process, partnerships, tools, et cetera. And then that last bit is um, the insurance. Um, but even that's moving yeah, all over changed. the place like the way mm-hmm. premiums be calculated and i think insurance companies have been burned so they don't know how to price it and then i don't even want to know what they'll be saying now oh well medibank didn't have insurance so they might have been left a bit of a bit of room for everyone else yep.
2: but they couldn't like i read something or heard something the other day that they couldn't get insurance oh really yeah, yeah. you know they were at a level you know i think that they required and it's too high risk too high risk you know and i think that's Potentially like I have been in a session recently as well, a few weeks ago with, with a few other CIOs and stuff, you know, and the conversation was around um cyber insurance. You mm. know, and a lot of them were saying, you know, that not only and, and we're saying this as well, like not only are the insurers minimal that will offer cyber insurance, you know, previously <laughs> till three years ago, year, you could go out and get ten different options. Now you get one or two. Yeah. And it's pretty much take it or leave it. So your premiums are almost doubled. The amount the insurance payouts get to halves. So theoretically, you're getting quarter of what you used to get prior yeah. to, to a few years ago. Yeah, it was interesting, and um, <clears throat> it was
3: Rob, I think, from McGrath Nickel. It kind of surprised me, but didn't surprise me, I guess. And that he was saying people are electing businesses are electing not to not to to take the money that they would spend on insurance and just double down on their yep. uh, internal controls and spend the money on a cyber program
0: internally. So
2: I've even heard of businesses self-insuring yeah that was that was kind of the phrase
0: he was- yeah one, one thing that even sovereign insurance no matter how good your policy is is the reputation hit though like all <clears throat> these yeah. big brands that have been hit you know what dollar they would you would you put on that your new name bring front, front page on the, every newspaper yeah you uh, get slammed yeah definitely not
2: good and again talking about technology you know one thing that came up in conversation today talking about newer technology we were talking about geolocations and you know with trucks and and things like that and quite topical, you know, talking about Uber. I read, I think it was over the weekend in North America, they're talking about targeting, targeted advertising. Have you heard about this one? No. So it's targeted advertising based on geolocation. So say Brad um, catches an Uber to go to Howard Smith Wharves. To. I was there on Saturday. Yeah, so oh, yeah I saw you. It's working. <laughs> <laughs> but the Uber will have a screen in the background um, in the back seat that will target ads to you going to that oh, particular yeah. location mm. and will say that, you know, he's gone from here to there, you know, so it'll actually pick this. And again, now it's getting to your personal information that it knows you're going from here to here. Mm. It'll target ads at you, you know, potentially that a restaurant's at Howard Smith Wharves and influence your decisions to get to that point of time. Um, the big outcry on this whole thing was in the States, you know, when um, with the abortion debate going on right now, et cetera, you know, is like when someone's actually going through to go to a different state or go through for various reasons, you know, trying to not be known, you know, now their personal information is actually out there as well, you know. So, yeah, it's a very topical one. And, you know, again, when it comes to cybersecurity, you don't want that getting out there. And Uber has been caught with their pants down multiple
3: times (laughs) don't have the best record with all this stuff do
0: they holding personal information it's scary if someone got into google how much data they'd have on everyone i mean
2: yeah i just don't know if they'd ever get to the point where they can analyze any of that information so that's what i'm holding on to is (laughs) like you know you've just got so much information you'd never know what to do with it or how to actually break that down so yeah it's
0: true probably worse if it's (laughs) (laughs) it's medicare because they just have like your personal you know identifying information nothing else where google's too much doesn't matter they get in
1: so, you know, as a CIO, you've got three roles really. You've got a strategic role, uh, protection, you know, maximize the asset, and then an innovation role, right? So, changing gears a little bit, you just touched on a bit of innovation, but from an ESG point of view, you know, can you share some of the technology innovation that you know you guys are going to be faced with over the next, you know, five, ten years?
2: I feel in 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 its infancy right now, right, Nigel. Like everyone's talking about it. There's so many different variances to it, and I feel like no one, or none of the software vendors, have really cracked the code. When it comes to ESG just as yet. Yeah. Very early days, right? Very right. early days. Yeah. You know, everyone's coming and selling it to you, you know, going, Oh, we've got this, and then you say, Well, who's used it before? Where have you used it? And they're like, oh, no one yet, but you know, you you'll we get want to, you be to be the yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We'll get we'll get you to be an early adopter. Yeah. You know, so I think we're at that stage, but we have just signed um, with a platform. Pretty early day, so I'm not going to say their name. Sure. but we've just signed with a really great platform where we think and we've gone through the same analysis that, you know, I spoke about earlier, you know, making sure it's the right fit for our business. We'll be able to get reports, you know, publish our own monthly ESG statistics, um, you know, in a single pane of glass, you know, change that to make sure the inputs are correct going into this and get the outputs. And then hopefully we'll get to a point where we'll get our clients to use the same systems and tools that that we actually have in place as well. Fantastic. So, again, I feel early days, but definitely a focus area for us and we'll we'll, we'll work through it with certain
0: vendors to crack that code. What wanted to change gears a little bit and um, discuss something more relevant to, I guess, um, RED and technology. We've noticed a massive growth in co-managed IT services or that hybrid support model where you've got some internal team looking at a certain IT support functions and then you outsource uh, other, other parts of that. What's your take on that? Good, bad or thoughts?
2: Yeah, look, we went down this path a few years ago where we we went, you know, like I'd, I'd say we had a bit of a, you know, top three approach. You know, we narrowed down to look at where managed services would take us and what it would look like for Ozenko. Um In the end of it, you know, by the time we actually got to – the point whether we were getting the presentations and the numbers, it actually didn't get to the even close to the numbers we wanted it to in a full managed service model. So we do use managed services for certain things, you know, like when it comes to network as a service and and certain bits and pieces. However, you know, I think the answer to your question is like my belief is a hybrid model is the way to go. You know, keep some control and and you know, make sure that we actually, like I'd go back to the most basic economic principles of comparative advantage, you know, do what we do best and, you know, get someone else to do what they do really, really well to do it really well mm. as, you know, themselves. So so that's the theory that, that I've used. Um, and I think the most uh, legs, you know, for success would be around that model. However, it has to be cost effective while still having the right, Element of physical touch, you know, and, and that white glove service, you know, cur- currently within our business, you know, most of the people will tell you that they do have that, you know, ability to just pick up a phone and someone will be there in like five minutes, right? Like, you know, if you're in the office or pick up the phone virtually, you know, on a Teams call and someone will be able to assist you quite quickly. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we found as we started testing this out in in just service delivery was there was a lack of that, you know, and there might be, you know, a bit of a transactional piece that we just spoke about with a vendor slash client relationship, even internally, you know, like our clients are actually everyone sitting on the floor.
0: Mm. Mm. How about being your size, I guess, as well, <clears throat> right? I guess that's the yeah. different thing is it has to be a, a right fit partner in there right um whereas you throw three thousand people so many countries and offices and that kind of thing it'd be pretty hard to you know just fully outsource that commercially i'd imagine um so your approach uh, and advice for similar size organizations would be to assess what your internal team is good at yeah and then what makes sense to outsource correct yeah, yeah 100 percent you else. know
2: like bring a partner like red you know say you're the best in infrastructure or manage you know whether it comes to microsoft um, you know, and that set of tools, you know, that I think that should be the focus area and say like, keep your internal team, you know, make sure that their focus areas on certain things, you know, that level one and level two support. And then like everything else can be behind the scenes when it gets escalated.
0: Yeah. Mm. yeah. I want to circle back on the, on the cybersecurity um, comments you made earlier. Um, how has cybersecurity evolved in the, well, I mean, you've been as in, as in 13 years now, but since you went into the IT realm five plus years ago, how has it evolved from back then to now? I I can honestly say, like at the start, what
2: we would look at in terms of cybersecurity was what antivirus protection you have on your on your laptop. Yeah. You know now you can think of about ten different things straight at the, you know top of the list. You know like have you got ITP? Have you got the right you know AD solution? Have you got multi-factor authentication? Have you got all these other things in place? Versus you know I I feel like the conversation of what um antivirus is on your computer no one cares about anymore. Right, like that's literally gone out the door. Whereas five yeah. years ago, it was like, oh, have you got so far? So have you got, you yeah. know, McAfee or whatever yeah. it was, you know, back in the day, back in my day, sorry. <laughs> Jackson, <laughs> <laughs> it, might, it might not be your day.
0: It's only five years you've, yeah. you've been uh, doing that <laughs> But no, I, I agree. I agree. It, was, you know, it used to be the antivirus tool and, oh, my antivirus tool is better than your antivirus yeah. tool to pick up this, this, this much malware. But now that's completely Completely. Out no one talks yeah. about that anymore. Well, yeah.
1: the conversation's with me, right? That was antivirus is more a protection mechanism. Now it's more strategic defense. You know, like you have yeah. all, you've got to have XDR. You've got to have, you know, the human firewall. You've got to have all of the pen tests and, um, you know, it's quite um,
0: yeah, pervasive. Yeah. So many attack surfaces have but evolved, right?
3: That's interesting. With 3,000 staff though, right? Obviously, like people can sometimes in this instance be your you know weakest line of defense uh, yeah. around training, awareness, testing, that kind of stuff. Do you have a...
2: We have, like that is literally one of the things that we looked at a year and a half ago when we started having this conversation. We could have, you know, again, we could spend millions of dollars on, you know, cyber or in, in a whole bucket of of funds. However the end user was really the weakest Weakest link. link. You know, so Mm -hmm. what we've done over the past 18 months is we have a monthly awareness campaign, um, pulled up the statistics actually today for various teams because we're talking a few of the teams, you know, and like over the year, how have they performed and everyone's done pretty well. You know, most teams have actually like learned, you know, like we used to have a click rate that was well below industry average Mm -hmm. and now we're well above the industry average in in, you know, doing a lot better. Oh, um, that's cool. And you've yeah. got
3: those data points. To we've see got the, the data points, the you know, which trending. is
2: the most important yeah. thing, right, Brad? Like, you know, we've gone through and like we've had a couple of campaigns where zero percent, you know, not anyone's click. Maybe they're easier sort of phishing emails, but still, you know, not one click across a couple of campaigns is brilliant that's for us. Good. You know, yeah, that's, that's really good compared to where we started off with, I think one of the campaigns, we had a 37 or 38 percent click rate where the industry average was 15. Yeah you know so so seeing those numbers start coming back you know it actually goes to the fact that we're making the right investments you know we're actually doing this you know there was points of time where i thought we need to actually pivot and look at a different strategy because this is not working that's
3: pretty good like yeah. that's cool to see the the benefits and that's like i almost it's tower awareness training is fairly low cost, really, um, yeah. for pretty high value. So that's um, no, definitely something we're big big advocates of. So it's good to hear that you've, you've – um, that's, that's some really good numbers, actually. Yeah, yeah good work.
2: And, and I'd never say that we've cracked the code when it comes to it. But, you know, I think it actually goes to show to your point is that it does make a difference. You know, if you can educate the people and, you know, when, it, when we have a new starter, they actually go through cybersecurity awareness training. Yeah. You know, never was the case before. So yeah. – And again, you know, it might take one single click. That's all it takes, right? Like, so anything more than 0% to fail, (laughs) theoretically. (laughs) But, um, you know, I think we're starting to get a bit more comfortable that we are on the right track and we are educating the people with the right platforms and the tools versus, you know, we had our strategy session at the start of the year in Canada. We were actually thinking of, you know, changing the way we're doing things, and what other um, you know holistic approaches can we use to start teaching people about cybersecurity and when not to click? <laughs> um, but then the the numbers
0: are starting to prove themselves, which is good. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, well done. Conscious of time, we've gone for a while. And Nigel, about any other questions you guys had? Uh, am I allowed to ask another one? <laughs> Go on. So I,
3: I do have two. Okay. Oh, just <laughs> yeah. Two. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. We can always cut it back. Um, I'm interested around that innovation piece is there anything else you can talk about that's cool that's, that's tech that you maybe you're not playing with but you'd like to play with um if it's if if, if you can talk about it
2: yeah 100% Brad I love talking about it because um, you know something <laughs> that I started a few years ago was around um you know data as an asset you know like I've always thought that that's really the value for a company like ours and You know, the more you look at it these days with, again, going back to the cyber topic, just touching on it, you know, with people losing data, that's probably the most critical piece. And for a company like ours, it is pretty important to, like, leverage our data. And I don't think we've done enough in that space, which is why we started looking at alternatives. And, you know, the IBM Watson was one of the examples that, you know, we spoke about offline, but, you know, trying to leverage our data, our historic data, you know, Senko has been around for 30 years and we've got 30 years of information. Some of it's still in files and folders. Some of it's just scanned drawings. However, there's a lot of value in almost every bit of data, you know, might be how not to do something, even though majority of the time is how to do something, but, you know, might be a good example on how not to do something. But, you know, we haven't got that single pane of glass of you know, show me a gold project that we did in remote Africa, you know, between um, 2006 and 2008. You know, so yes, people know, like I I know where to find that information because I've been around for a while, but, you know, not someone starting tomorrow will be able to find that information easily. So that's really a focus area for us next year. And we're trying to come up with the right data platform and single pane of glass using AI saying, you know, Brad started today what is he going to work on? All right, he's an electrical engineer. He might want to look at, you know, he's working on a project that's a gold plant in uh, remote Asia. You know, what else can we show him that could help him, you know, kick his, hit the ground running? Yeah. You know, so that type of AI approach is really what we're thinking about now.
3: It's amazing. uh, We're working on similar things. We're a data stroke business as well, effectively. Um, But just being able to have that insight at your fingertips. It's good that, yes, I know it's there and I can spend three hours and I can dig it up, but how much quicker I can make better decisions having that information kind of at my fingertips. So it's exciting.
2: Yeah, it's it's like we want to get there. Again, we're not there yet. It's difficult, right? Yeah, Yeah, and I don't think, like I've spoken to so many companies about this and, you know, different vendors and different, you know, partners of ours etc it's a very difficult one you know and people will come and sell you like a data lake house and what's the latest one i heard um something else to do with with lakes and and fishing but data, data cottage maybe? Yeah, yeah i don't know um but yeah you know there's all these solutions out there but finding the right one and making sure that it is ticking the boxes that we need from a realistic and practical purpose is the difficult piece to the puzzle that's cool
3: and then, my other question, more personal, and I don't think we covered this at the beginning, but why did you go to Canada?
2: Um, so, interestingly, so this was my second stint in Canada. I did okay. go in an engineering role in 2011. Okay. Um, so, that was more around engineering design systems, making sure that we standardize across North and South America um, with the right tool set, the right standards, the right procedures, you know, making sure that a product coming out of Vancouver or Santiago or Lima looks the same as a drawing coming out of Brisbane. Yep. And that was it. Loved it. Came back to Australia, moved into a technology role. And some of the thinking was around, you know, building the team and growing the team with a, um, you know, the resources that were in available in vancouver versus yep. versus the resources that were available in brisbane for the reasons you mentioned earlier yeah yep. and we did you know so a lot of the core infrastructure team is actually based out of vancouver okay compared to brisbane
3: and then last question and the reason you came back
2: uh family I thought I yeah <laughs> more than anything so else plus behind. work and, yeah, yeah liking it so far yeah cool yeah
0: good one we've gone a little bit longer than usual but I think if you say um, Canada and data anymore Brad's going to ask for your autograph <laughs> <laughs> to
2: wrap up. Yeah, Brad and me hanging out every weekend yeah, we'll yeah. this <laughs> just for a little bit
0: no, thanks for just coming I really appreciate it thanks for joining
2: yeah, thanks for having me mate really appreciate it guys for coming in. fun Cheers. conversation thanks <laughs>